Welcome to the Health Deli, your local stop for a fresh take on community health topics. Come on in, grab a number, and let the guys behind the counter, Mark, Ben, and Mike, tell you about today's specials. All right, welcome to the deli. Today's topic is pre-diabetes. I am your host today, Dr. Mark Young, and with me today I have Dr. Mike Klepser. Hola. And, and um, we have another guest that we'll introduce later. Dr. Ben Pontefract has the day off. He's probably recovering from some like indie pop Punk, punk thing, whatever. Yeah, he. Um, just, I think he's just probably tanning somewhere. It's you know, beautiful day. He's like getting his vitamin probably. D up. So. Yeah, yeah. I. Yeah, who knows? He just you doesn't know, want to hang out with us anymore. Speaking of beautiful day, today we are recording from the winery at Young Farms, near and dear to my heart. I'm kind of taking working from home to a whole new level today. Um, so literally, we're in our my front yard, um, and I've uh, we just celebrated our five year anniversary, but um, uh, here at the winery. We, we, my wife and I started this kind of crazy idea five years ago to open a winery in our front yard. So we converted a, a barn that we had on the property. Was that so you didn't have to drive as far after you got done drinking? Honestly, like I loved drinking with my friends and they would come over and drink and it was starting to cost me a lot of money. Um, so, <laughs> so make them pay to come over to hang with you. Right. So I said, you know, really? I'm going to have to start charging you guys. And apparently that's not legal um, without the right licensing. So I got the licenses and now I drink with my friends. So... Um, yeah, so we're, we're at a beautiful day at the winery today. Um, you may hear some birds chirping. You may hear some, some guests walking by. Um, and that's just all part of the, the, um, the fun, the ambiance. I like that word, ambiance. You want me to look it up for you? Yeah, (laughs) please. I'm Googling it, Googling it right now. So before we get into the day's episode about prediabetes, I just want to give some free samples. What you've been working on, Mike? Well, there's a lot of things that we've got in the hopper here uh, that we hope to uh, bring to you soon. One is a discussion on aspirin. You know, they went through a time when everybody, it seems like, was on a baby aspirin, mm-hmm. you know, a day for, you know, prevention of heart heart attacks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The pendulum's kind of swung on that one a little really? bit. And uh, we're going to dive into the literature, you know, on that. That's really interesting. So part of what I teach is geriatrics. Why'd um, you look at me? Because <laughs> <laughs> you're... <laughs> It's too easy because you're geriatric, of course. The old jokes are getting too easy almost. When you when you make them like that, I can't make the joke. Um, so anyway, that's very, very uh, relevant topic though in the world of geriatrics right now is aspirin for primary prevention. So I'm interested in that. Okay. Um, that's a great one. Anything else you're working on? Yeah, definitely. Again, another one that I think you would be interested in. Um, we were talking earlier about ticks out in the field and stuff yes. like that. And what we're seeing is we're seeing these ticks that spread Lyme disease mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Rocky Mountain spotted fever mm-hmm. and starry. They're coming way out of where we used to normally find those specific ticks. So mm-hmm. what we want to do is talk about some of these ticks and the diseases that they cause, nice. uh, what to be on the lookout for and how to prevent getting bit. Nice. Maybe we can talk about the, the comic, uh, the show based on the comic strip, The Tick. Maybe we won't. But, well, maybe not. I like that show. I thought it was good. Yeah, well, yeah, you've got low standards. Yeah. Um, and then another well, I, thing. Oh, I am hanging out with you. <laughs> Fair enough. I think another thing that we're going to look into are um, sexually transmitted infections. Okay. And it's been interesting because, you know, for decades, the rates of sexually transmitted infections actually have been going down across the country. Really? Over the last, which is a good thing. That's a great thing, yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, over the last few years, we started to see an increase in sexually transmitted infections, you know, across a number of states, states especially Michigan, mm-hmm. 
including syphilis, which when you think of a sexually transmitted disease, you don't think of syphilis as a modern day no, sexually transmitted all. infection. And so it's still incredibly pro- problematic. And you know, we're going to get into why we're starting to see mm-hmm. more and more sexually transmitted infections. It's, it's about God Al Capone, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. That's what they say. Yeah. Took him down. Yeah. Um, you know, I want to do an episode on vaping, actually. Um, so vaping is catching on in popularity amongst our young, uh, amongst our young folk. Uh, so I want to, I want to get into some literature and some science behind whether or not vaping is is maybe better for you than traditional smoking, or maybe worse for you. Um, so yeah, I've been working on that, and then I want to continue and kind of turn what we're doing today into this know your numbers series. So today we're going to talk about prediabetes, but I also want to continue on and do one, maybe know your cholesterol, know your blood pressure, um, where we kind of talk about some numbers that we use um, in the healthcare world. That, that's, I mean, those are really, you know, cool things. I mean, I, I honestly struggle with knowing my age. <laughs> you struggle with knowing a lot. <laughs> um, some days I think you struggle with knowing your name. Uh, but let's, let's go on to, before we talk about prediabetes. So prediabetes obviously is a condition before we would develop diabetes, right? So let's remind the listeners about what, um, what types of diabetes there are. So type one diabetes, I think is what a lot of people think of when you think diabetes, we used to call this insulin dependent diabetes. Usually the onset is, is younger people. So children on up to very early adulthood, I would say maybe 25 or less, uh, cause is not fully understood, uh, but for whatever reason, the body attacks the pancreas. Uh, and then the pancreas is basically wiped out by, um, for, for one or more reason, at least um, it, it's incapacitated to produce, produce insulin. So all of the insulin that that person needs is really given exogenously. So they have to use insulin. That's well, because pancreas is made in cells in your pancreas. Right. Insulin is made in cells in your, in your, and so um, when your pancreas dies off, you need, you need insulin. Right. Now there is what they call the honeymoon period where your pancreas will kind of kick back into gear. Uh, but, but essentially the idea is your pancreas is non-functioning in type one diabetes. So we have to give you insulin. That's why we call it insulin dependent. I don't remember my pancreas at all on my honeymoon. (laughs) Uh, the jokes are coming too easy today, so I'm just going to let that one slide. So this diabetes, this type of diabetes is largely unpreventable um, unless uh, there's really no way to prevent type 1 diabetes. Unfortunately, it's just an affliction that we don't know enough about to, to come at it from a prevention standpoint. Now, type 2 diabetes, quite different though, right, Mike? Yes. I'm eating jerky. Well, <laughs> Sorry. It is good jerky. <laughs> so... Yeah, so tell us about type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is different from type 1 diabetes, at least initially. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's more of an insulin resistance is what they think, that your body doesn't use the insulin that it produces efficiently. Mm-hmm. So we need to use medications you know, to help your body use more insulin. And then perhaps over time, your pancreas works so hard to try to keep up with that extra insulin that it's needed that it wears out. Um, and then a lot of times these type 2 diabetes turns into almost an insulin-dependent diabetes because some of those folks actually have to go on, uh, you know, an insulin as well as some of the other agents. Sure. And the type 2 diabetes I'm sure you're going to talk about, you know, is very common in America and other developed countries because it's associated with being obese. Right. So, you know, it's 
type two diabetes, generally older uh, people over the age of 45. Um, and those folks, again, like you said, um, will probably eventually need insulin as that disease state progresses. Uh, and they're going to need a lot of insulin because of their tissue uh, tissues are, are experiencing insulin resistance. So um, that's why we don't call it uh, insulin um, or non uh, what we was, used, what we was the to, old term? We used to call it non-insulin dependent. Non-insulin right? dependent. That was actually before my time. Because then it got people confused when you'd have to put these people on insulin. They were like, but they're non-insulin dependent. Right, right. And then we just sit around and scratch our heads and right. wait for the world to implode. Right. So type 2 diabetes, though, largely preventable. So um, risk factors, we talked about age already. So age greater than 45. Sedentary lifestyle. So uh, if you're not, you know, exercising, Again, you're, you're moving, looking right at me. I'm here. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I'm looking right at you as you <laughs> stuff your mouth with jerky. Um, obesity, also a risk factor. Smoking, uh, it's almost like smoking isn't good for you. Um, family history, you can't do much to change that family history. Um Ethnicity, high blood pressure, uh, cholesterol, uh, high triglycerides, all risk factors for type 2 diabetes. So it's like a whole lot of bad things, you know, are rolled up into one. You're and right. there's like, you know, syndromes related to that, right? You know, you know looking mm-hmm. at, you know, high blood pressure, cholesterol, triglycerides yes. and stuff. Yeah, the, the, the terrible triad of um, diabetes, uh, cholesterol, and hypertension for sure. So what we want to do, though, is we want to prevent type 2 diabetes. Okay, And to do that, we're going to try to catch type 2 diabetes before it becomes diabetes. That's where pre-diabetes comes in. So this is really kind of cool because you had mentioned that the type 1 diabetes that's insulin you know, from the get-go, mm-hmm. we couldn't prevent that. It just kind of happened, unfortunately. Happens, so this yeah. one we, is potentially preventable. Right. So we can do some stuff to stop it. And one of those things is catching it as, you know, before it develops into diabetes. Well, bef- before you go on, though, you, which is more common, that, that type 1 or type 2? So type two, far and away, more common. Really? Yeah. So the more common one you could prevent. So it seems like you got more bang for your buck. Exactly. So wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Um, so the pre-diabetes is defined as this blood glucose level greater than normal, but less than diabetes, right? So that makes sense. Greater than your normal, but less than that of diabetic. So um, we're going to test some people's blood sugar today. Do you think that'd be the best idea, right? No, no, actually, no. And it's because blood blood glucose is very short lived and it's very dependent on what you've done maybe 12 hours prior. So if I ate a whole bunch of candy and then took a blood glucose level, it's going to be high. Again, right. you're looking at me. I mean, yeah. were you were you driving up here with me as I was eating my Mike and Ike's and hot tamales? Or I saw you? I saw a fast food bag in that minivan. Ah, bacon, egg and cheese biscuit. Yep. So, uh. So instead, what we do is we test this thing called hemoglobin A1C. So blood glucose, um, like I said, very short-lived. It's in, in diabetic patients um, kind of had this mentality like brushing your teeth before going to the dentist. So a diabetic patient maybe wasn't taking great care of themselves, wasn't eating a good diet, eating a lot of sugar. But then right before their doctor's appointment, they are really good for that 12 hours. And then we test their blood glucose and say, oh, you know, you're doing pretty good. Well, hemoglobin A1C, um, so the, the life of a, of a red blood cell, which has hemoglobin in it, is about three months, right? So as this red blood cell travels around, it grabs on to glucose. So if you have a lot of glucose circulating during that time, we can actually um, uh, 
grab a sample of your blood and see how much of that hemoglobin that's been traveling around for three months has been saturated with glucose. So I like to call that like sugar coating. Um, and then depending on that, don't sugarcoat it, Mark. I'm going to sugarcoat it for you. So uh, depending on that sugar coating, what percent is saturated, we can see how well you've done. And there's really no way to trick it. So um, this is kind of like a sugar narc. I mean, your hemoglobin A1C, they're going to turn you over regardless. I mean, they're going to like just yeah. tell all your flaws. You, and- you can't beat the test. Um, I look, I kind of think of it like if you had a dozen donuts mm. in in a box. You wouldn't have them um, long if I was around. Right. Hemoglobin A1C is kind of that percentage of those that are powdered sugar donuts, right? Versus plain. So Why would you get a plain donut? What? I like the plain donut. I'm a purist. That's just stupid. <laughs> well, I'm worried about prediabetes <laughs> is why. Um, so... If your A1C is less than 5.7%, we call that normal. Um, Mike's never been called normal, but maybe his A1C is normal. I'm not sure. Uh, not, not according to my diet. <laughs> Greater than 6.5% means you have uh, type 2 diabetes or diabetes in general. Okay. Most likely type 2 at your age. Um, so you can, but you can use the A1Cs for the type 1 or type 2. It's kind of agnostic exactly. to the, why exactly. the sugar's there. Right. Okay. Yep. It, it's not, it doesn't say whether it's type 2 or, or 1 only says basically how how bad you are right how how good you are so so, I, I'm, so you're I'm, looking at the glass the half full and i'm half empty right i'm looking at the wine glass half full you need um, to start drinking more then yeah <laughs> that's true uh so if you're between uh 5.7 and 6.4 that's where we say you're pre-diabetic um so um we're gonna give an a1c um today but A1C tests, not not really expensive, not really cheap, though. So you're probably in the $35 range. So it's not like we're going to screen everybody under the sun for this, okay? So we needed a tool that um, can, can help us figure out who to screen. So the best bang for our buck, right, in medicine. So we need a tool to figure out who we're going to give this test to. And the National Prediabetes or National Diabetes Prevention Program has developed this tool, and it's the Diabetes Risk Test. So it's online. You can go through it and 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 uh, ask questions about your risk factors, and then based on the results of the test, it may uh, recommend that you receive an A1C test. Do you want to try the tool? We I have it. We can go through it. You can answer the questions. Let's do it. All right, Mike. So I have the pre-diabetes risk test um, in front of me. It's a very simple questionnaire. I On the website, I think it takes 10 minutes, it says, but it probably takes a lot less than that. Um, Should we time gonna, it? Um, we can, sure. You, you count. Okay. Um, all right, first question. How old are you? Now, you don't have to tell me exactly. 53. Are you? Okay. You're 53. That gives you... You're slowing things down. Two points. This is being timed. Two points. I, I like points. Yeah. In this in this case, points are not necessarily a good thing. So if we're looking for five oh, or this less... this is like golf, isn't it? I hate it is. golf. Um, so the lower score, the better. If we're at five or higher for a total, five or higher for a total, we're going to uh, give you an A1C test. So the next one, are you a man or a woman? You just asked me that question, right? With my my luxurious beard and manly characteristics, I'm a man. I'm gonna go three quarters. <laughs> so one point one point for a man. Um, so you're already up to three. Um, if you are a woman, have you ever been diagnosed with gestational diabetes, which is a risk factor? You're not a woman, so I'm gonna give you a zero. Do you have a mother, father, sister, or brother? So first degree relative with diabetes? No. 
So zero. Have you ever been diagnosed with high blood pressure? Yes. Yes. Another point. Are you physically active? Um, subjectively, maybe. 30 minutes of exercise three days a week. Oh, good God, week. no. <laughs> Holy cow, let's not get ridiculous with this. All right, so we've already let the cat out of the bag. You're at five. Now there's a weight category chart. Um, what is your height? Uh, five, nine. Five, nine. And weight, are you between 169 and 202? No. Are you between 203 and 269? No. Are you 270 plus? No. So you're less than 169? Yes. Okay, so that is a zero. So even though your weight is good, which is great, even though um, you don't have any familial history um, and you don't have, obviously you didn't have gestational diabetes, um, because you have um, high blood pressure and potentially a sedentary lifestyle and you're a man and you're old enough, you would actually score a five, which would suggest that we would do an A1C test really? on you. Yes. Okay. So, um, which is interesting because, you know, and I think about, you know, type two diabetes and stuff. Yeah. I always think overweight, right. You know, those are like the big risk factors and stuff like that. So, you know, maybe very naively or, you know, head in the sand kind of thing. I'm thinking, Oh, I'm probably low risk Mm -hmm. because I'm not overweight. Sure. Sure. So, um, we're not going to do one on you. We might do one later. Um, but we're going to, we're going to try to get some interaction here at the farm. Um, so again, we're at the winery at Young Farms today. You can probably hear some, some bustling noise in the background. That's not piped in. That's actual real crowd noise. I'd like um, to think they're here for us. I think, I think they are. Yeah, That's let's, what let's I tell just, myself. Let's just say they're here for us. Sure. Yeah. Um, so let's try to get a, uh, a guest. Oh, look, kind sir. What's your name? Uh, Brian. Oh, Brian. I'm Mark. Nice to meet you. Uh, nice to meet you too. Yeah. So, um, would you like to know if you have prediabetes? Maybe. How long is that going to take? Oh, you know, 10 minutes or so. Uh, okay, let's do it. All right. Wait a minute. Are you Dr. Brian McDowell, the optometrist? I am. <laughs> wow. What a coincidence. So Dr. McDowell and I are doing a research project together right now on the campus of Fair State University. Um, so Dr. McDowell, I'm going to ask you in a little bit to explain that project, but first... I'm going to um, take a little sample, a little pinprick of your blood and put it in my machine over there. And we're going to try to um, see what your uh, A1C level is. So if you would use a little bit of that waterless hand sanitizer. I'm going to put my gloves on. Now this is available at um, um, through your physician's office and at a select number of pharmacies. Um, you can get an A1C test. So when you do one of these A1C tests, you know, I know that for blood sugars, you use just like a finger stick and you just need a little bit of blood. Yep. Same thing. Okay. So he's um, just going to give me a finger. Well, he's, not that finger, dude. He's, no, he's actually giving me that finger. <laughs> That's the finger. That's the one that we like to Just happen to, to be the longest right one. There. Yep. And what I'm going to do is use what's called a lancet. I'm going to give him a little uh, poke on his finger. I'm going to let that alcohol dry so it doesn't create an error in the machine. And letting that alcohol dry makes it sterile um, and uh, doesn't give him a sting when I when I hit him with this. All right, so uh, Dr. McDowell's mic'd up. So give me the reaction shortly after the Lancet. He's right. crying already. Yeah. Little poke. Ooh. Yeah, that's not that bad. Not bad? No. Okay. You don't have to lie. This is payback for everybody that we've been doing this to. 
Yeah, you're right. Oh, Dr. McDowell has uh, not much of a bleeder. We maybe wish we had those larger lancets. I usually like, so, you know, that's the thing about the lancets. They come in different uh, gauges, and people don't know that. You know, and, uh, you know, some of the gauges make you bleed more Mm -hmm. uh, than others. I like to use things that are called blades. I have never had to stick anybody twice with one of the blades. Now, I've had problems keeping people from bleeding after I do it, but never had a problem with appropriate specimen volume. So I've just, I'm going to put this in my machine, but Dr. McDowell, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about our project that we're doing together over at Fair State? Sure, I'd be happy to. Thanks thanks for having me on and, and uh, giving me an opportunity to uh, talk through this. So um, as you kind of mentioned, Mark, uh, we are working on a project um, that's an interprofessional collaboration uh, between the College of Pharmacy, the College of Optometry, and the School of Nursing all through Fair State University. Um, and what we're looking for is we're kind of looking at the number of people in the Fair State community that have prediabetes. Um, for a little background on that, we looked at some of the numbers of uh, people in Macosta County and surrounding counties um, that were diagnosed with pre-diabetes and with type 2 diabetes, and uh, we noticed that there seemed to be kind of a discrepancy between uh, the number of individuals that have been diagnosed with pre-diabetes um, and diabetes in the 18 to 45 uh, age range. Um, the numbers really just don't add up. And so what we did is we, we designed a research project around that um, that's going to let us screen for prediabetes in that younger age group um, and try to see if the numbers really are uh, higher than, than um, have been evidenced in, in some of the, the uh, statistics that are out there. Um, so our project is funded through a Ferris Foundation grant, um, and we are, uh, it's been kind of a three-phase project. We're currently in phase three, um, but the, the first phase involved uh, setting up on Ferris State's campus. Uh, I think we did eight weeks, uh, a couple times a week, sometimes three times a week, um, uh, going out and, and actually moving our mobile measurement uh, uh, set up and um, recruiting pa- uh, patients, subjects, and, um, and and actually testing them, going through the testing with them. Um, and so once we uh, kind of qualified somebody based on the risk test that you just heard, uh, we went ahead and uh, measured their A1C, just like we're doing now. And then based on the A1C number, um, we could qualify them for part three or for phase three. Um, and that's, uh, like I said, where we're at right now. So uh, basically right now, uh, the patients in phase three are um, taking part in the National Diabetes Prevention Program. You kind of touched on that earlier. That's a, uh, being run through the District 10 Health Department right in Big Rapids. And um, basically what we're doing is um, over the course of a full year, one calendar year, um, we're going to try to help them improve. You talked a little bit about the sedentary lifestyle. Um, hopefully be able to improve through this National Diabetes Prevention Program kind of their lifestyle choices, uh, giving them some coaching on that to try to yeah, Some of those there. modifiable risk factors. So, exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. So we can quit smoking. Can't change our family history. <laughs> no, that's, um, that's pretty much locked. We can change our family, <laughs> but, not, but not really our genetic <laughs> makeup. Right. Um, and, uh, and really try to emphasize some healthier eating choices, those sort of things, and, and give uh, consistent feedback and um, just kind of be coaches uh, through that program. So, um <clears throat> 
Uh, we are going to continue to monitor this group uh, over the course of that next year and uh, hopefully be able to show that this early intervention, this intervention during pre-diabetes rather than once they've converted diabetes, um, is a little more helpful and easier to tackle rather than trying to medicate or uh, manage after there's been that conversion to type 2 diabetes. Because with the, the diabetes, once you actually have that problem, there's a lot of problems that go on with your body and it's not just the blood sugar, it affects your kidneys, your blood pressure, your eyes, and everything, right? No question. And, you know, I'm uh, obviously being an optometrist, I'm uh, passionate about the eyes. Uh, and that's uh, primarily what I see in my clinic is patients with diabetes. And, um, uh, you know, by the time they, they get to me and, and have been diagnosed with diabetes, um, it's variable as to how quickly it, it affects the body, but when it's affecting the eyes, we know that it's having similar effects everywhere in the body. So by detecting this earlier through the screening like you guys are doing and doing some of these modifiable risk factor, risk factor you know, modifications or whatever, uh, you could actually prevent that from happening. So not only do you prevent diabetes, but you prevent all these complications that are associated with that as well, right? No question. And, and you know, studies have definitely shown catching it earlier uh, reduces uh, the, the impact of, of diabetes. Um, the healthcare costs, I mean, uh, you know, health, the cost of healthcare right now is a kind of a big buzz uh, item. And uh, anytime we can kind of cut that back, um, mm -hmm. it's going to be beneficial for everybody. Yeah. And having diabetes, I mean, it's, it's scary for people. Um, and I, I, so there's two things. One, it's scary, which you would think would motivate uh, patients to take charge of their health, right? It's scary from the standpoint that, um, you know, it, all of the um, the shortening of life, really. But also scary from the fact that you might have to use injectable medicine, um, like insulins and other injectable meds. Those are all kind of scary things. But what I think, we, what I gleaned from this project, one of our, one of our um, barriers to, to getting folks to the screening is they had a little bit of a bury their head in the sand mentality where I would we would engage with people and say hey do you would you like to know if you're at risk for prediabetes or diabetes and a lot of folks that I would you know just um, assume maybe had some risk factors um, would say no I'd rather not know um, which is unfortunate. So I don't know how we change that. I mean, maybe it's an interprofessional working with psychology, sociology, some of those folks to understand how to change that mindset. So in the, in the project that you guys are doing, have you asked patients that, like as you're going out and approaching them and trying to get them to the screen, have you asked if they say no? Well, wh why not? Or ask, no. why haven't you done this before? No, but it's a great idea. We need to. So uh, next time you'll have me as an investigator and we'll yes. check all those boxes off. We, and the, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Definitely. Um, part, of the, part of the assumption is, you know, especially in this younger age group, um, uh, you know, I'm not that far out of that age group and uh, we had this feeling of invincibility, you know, mm -hmm. um, prediabetes, that's for as for old people or um, yeah, why are you, you why are you looking at me now overweight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know overweight individuals so um, I, I think that younger crowd just doesn't realize that they are at risk mm -hmm. and um, and maybe we need to help make them aware uh, and that's part of what we're trying to do with this project well and you know throughout medicine especially with younger aged people but it carries forward throughout everybody tends to underestimate their own risk yeah Mm -hmm. uh, for whatever, that's not going to happen to me. It would, you know, I'm not, don't have those risk factors. Yeah. Uh, and then some of the stuff just comes right up and bite them. So, you know, as I'm sitting here listening to this, you know, about these A1Cs and the information I can give, I can see why that would be valuable for people to know, you know, their numbers. Cause it's not like, okay, yeah, great. I know my number. Now there's nothing I can do about it. 
you actually could do things and prevent a lot of stuff. It seems like if people, more people understood how important it was to know your number and what the benefits was, it seems like everybody would want to get this. You, you would think so. Yep, you would think so, especially, uh, you know, it takes... 10 minutes at most, and uh, it's quick and easy. Um, the good news is uh, the, the risk test that, that Mark went through earlier is available online. You can uh, just do a, a quick search for pre, pre-diabetes risk test, and, and that's right there and available for you. Yeah. So are, your results are already back. Um, no editing. So we ran this real time. So that's yeah. exactly how long it takes. You nervous? I'm a little nervous. Do you have, have you been eating a lot of donuts? Uh, not donuts. Not really? donuts. But pop, okay. pop has been a really? uh, caffeine. Well, I have good news. Okay, good. Um, your A1C is 5.5, so less than 5.7 would be your normal um, person. Now, that doesn't mean that you can, um, you know, quit exercising and go and go yes. eat a whole bunch of donuts. I win today. Um, but what what you're doing is working, so um, you are you are not pre-diabetic. Um, but I, but you can breathe a little easier, can't you? Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, so, did you forward? Did you send me some emails recently? Yeah, I, I like to send you things that I'm too lazy to read. Is it? I think I have to. I think I have it set to just send all yours to junk. <laughs> yeah, like my wife. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, so the one that I sent on diabetes and the A1C stuff kind of goes along with what you guys are talking about. Um, the U.S. Preventative uh, Services Task Force and the American Diabetes Association looked at that age cutoff for the A1C screening. You know, which we had said before was what, 45? 45, yeah. 45. And what they're saying is if we reduced or started screening patients at age 35, we could really uh, find a lot more people that could benefit uh, from some of these preventative, you know, things and really avoid a lot of complications. You know, so that goes right along with, you know, what you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, the that That 35 number hit me um because i'm not yet 45 so i wasn't really i was thinking oh you know it's only for the older folk um when they say 35 that is a young young person in my mind um and it made a big big change 45 is young 45 is young 45 is young 35 even younger it's like just babies it's the new 25 yeah is it no. I like that. I like where you're thinking. I like, what, I think it's 45 is the new 25. Yeah. I thought 55. Yeah. You know, I just popped into my mind. We're here at the winery again today. Um, probably hear some stuff in the background. Um, we need to do an episode on the health benefits of alcohol or, or maybe the health detriments. Yeah. We need to do I mean, an episode. There was a lot of, lot of press years ago about, you know, glass of wine. Yeah, you know, a day, and then it was a, well. That also applies to beer. That, that also applies to spirits. And right. yeah, I'm not going to lie. Anything that supports my lifestyle, yeah, um, I'm all in. Yeah, yeah. You know, just thinking about it. You know, wine much different than beer. Obviously, they both contain alcohol, but um, some contain some contain uh, other uh, compounds like antioxidants and things like that that are in wine that wouldn't be in beer or spirits. But not to go down that path. But I think that would be a great episode. I agree. It's on my list. Yeah. Quit, um, re- quit reading my list. I might have to start reading your emails, though, because that's actually really good information. So um, that's all I have for today. Um, no, but, you know, still, I mean, this is really cool. I mean, I didn't know that these tests were like so readily available. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew A1Cs. And I know it was so beneficial, but I didn't realize that theoretically it'd be very beneficial for a much broader range of people. I agree. And if we talk about 
you know, you know, you, like you mentioned, the expenses of healthcare and all that kind of stuff, and people wanting to be healthier. I mean, good grief! Quit taking, you know, mm-hmm. a pill or some fad thing, and just know your numbers, man. Right? Yeah, know your numbers. It's so important. So, looking back, just in my lifespan, uh, my grandfather had type two diabetes, which is why I'm really um, concerned about my own health because it's a, a genetic link. Exactly. So uh, I'm concerned about it. And in his day, it was um, urine glucose. So they would use urine sticks. Um, grossly inaccurate, right? How do you make a urine stick? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> How do you get that joke to stick? <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm full of them, man. <laughs> you, you're full of it. All right. So, um, so if you if the a major step forward was finger stick blood glucose testing, okay? But we've already talked about how the shortcomings of that test was because again, if you're good for 12 hours, you don't eat your pie, you yeah. don't, you know, you're not eating any donuts, you're not drinking the sugary drinks, it's going to look pretty darn good. Yeah, so it's not good for a screening no, tool like not this. at all for a screening tool. But A1C, you can't beat it. You know, you can't fool the test. It's going to look at that long-term three-month or so average. Um, and that's why it's so incredibly important. So, yeah, um, if we could have had this earlier, um, it would have been just an incredible tool in the fight against type 2 diabetes where we're at right now. So. Yeah, but we can still make we still positive, uh, you know, impact going forward. And again, is more people are aware of these types of tests. Mm-hmm. and know their numbers and know what to do about them. Yeah. You know, I think that we can really have a positive impact on a lot of, you know, disease states and mm-hmm. really help people live yeah. longer, happier lives. Yeah. I, I'm excited about the lipids uh, episode coming up, the hypertension episode. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited You're just looking and a little at me anxious. And listing off everything that I've got right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know that. We don't know that. You might know that, but we don't know that not yet. So it's going to be an interesting case study. Um, well, Andrew, the producer, he's given me the the wrap it up sign. Um, he's he's holding up little cards that say stuff. Um, so I think it's about time to wrap it up. Uh, it's been uh, very sweet hanging out with you gentlemen today. I actually wrote that one down. Very sweet. Um, and I hope the listeners got some useful information. Uh, listeners, if you have ideas for future episodes, please contact us at thehealthdeli at ferris.edu. And of course, be on the lookout for future episodes. We want to give a special thank you to Andrew Tingley and the crew at Ferris State University's television and digital media production program. Until next time, so long from the Health Deli, where topics are tasty, the takes are fresh, and the discussion is free. Please come back soon.